Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman. My guest this hour is Peter Gore, who is an independent investment advisor. Uh, He is a chartered financial analyst and a certified financial planner. Uh, He is a professor of economics at the Mason School of Business at the College of William and Mary, and also has a money management firm. Welcome to the show, Peter. Great. It's great to be here. Thank you, Jordan. Just I mentioned a little bit, but why don't you also do tell us a little bit about your uh, background and your areas of expertise and how you got to where you are now? Uh, let's see. Well, I've been um, <clears throat> excuse me in the uh, financial advisory business for oh, probably 16, 17 years now, um, and. Uh, I primarily handle uh, high net worth clients. I'm here in Williamsburg, Virginia. And um, with that, uh, part of my background was in finance and economics. And so as of late, um, we started a program with the uh, Mason School of Business um, here at William & Mary, where we're actually um, conducting a class called the Student Managed Investment Fund. And we invest uh, uh, some of the endowment dollars of the uh, college. And in that program, we... Uh, teach uh, students how to analyze companies. Um, they ultimately um, uh, decide which ones to actually invest in and build a portfolio. So it's a uh, real-world experience. And um, so basically what I do here, too, is also help with uh, clients planning uh, estate issues, retirement planning, um, and then also encourage them to save as much money as possible uh, in, in uh, planning for that. Let's just start off with an overall view of kind of where the state of the economy is. Uh, what do you see? We had a major news announcement today about China revaluing their currency. Uh, why don't you give us a sense of where you see the United States economy and where the world economy is going? We also have the, the G20 meeting happening this coming week in Toronto with looking at the overall world economy. Can it give us your sense of where we stand? Well, the um, we're uh, overall the the. I guess the global economy, if you will, um, has just um, over the past several decades has just taken on a, a tremendous amount of debt. And as we've worked our way through this crisis, that as we all know, you know, began back in '07 uh, and '08, where it really came to a, a head. Um, we've uh, each of the different countries have have taken their own different ways of, of dealing with. Um, those excesses, and they've been affected differently. And I would say that the U.S. was probably the, the on the forefront and the most aggressive in dealing with those issues, um, with TARP, etc. Um, and so we've we've uh, had a very strong bounce back uh, from March of last year. Um, but at the same time, with that, we also have uh, really levered up the balance sheet of the Fed, um, of which is going to uh, play itself out over the next decade or so. Um, we have Europe, who is, is, uh, has some of the similar issues, except they have a more complicated issue via the, the euro. Um, but they're just now, they, they did some things early on, but now they're really kind of having to step up the game and um, probably end up doing some of the same things that we did with TARP. They've already put out one um, loan package. They'll probably do more. 
um, and they have some structural issues that they're really going to have to deal with. Um, the good news is, is, is parts of the uh, the globe have done quite well. Um, we've uh, China has done well. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, the news today really kind of indicated to me anyway is that they're they're uh, trying to do the right things, and that is they don't want their economy to overheat. They don't want to go through a process of of these uh, these uh, peaks and, and troughs, and they want to try to more or less manage the process. So by floating their currency, um, that is going to help with that um, through the process. The emerging markets have done well um, and, and should continue to do well um, in the future. They don't have nearly the debt issues that we have. Uh, matter of fact, they hardly have any debt at all, and some of them are actually running surpluses. So uh, overall, it's really the developed countries that are having some of the most difficult time, and they're going to have to work their way through it. Did the United States make the right move um, to do what it did in 2008 and taking on this debt and having TARP and having these huge budget deficits and so on? Was this the right make, move to make under the circumstances? Well, I think, th- I, yes, I think they basically needed to do it to avoid really catastrophe. Um, the hard part now is is uh, the political will to really deal with the unwinding of that balance sheet. Um, it's fairly typical that when we go into recessions that really the government steps in and they become the lender of last resort. So they basically come in where the consumers are backing away and they add the stimulus to to move the uh, to keep the, the economy moving and to get the, the consumer back to the table so that they can drive the other parts of GDP. Um, the issue that we have now is this one was really, um, we're already at a pretty heavily levered point um, within the economy. Um, and going forward, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take an awful lot of, like I had said, the political will to really make some hard decisions. Um, and that tends to be a bit more difficult when we deal with, you know, po- politi- political matters that are typically short term, sometimes uh, four years in term. <laughs> Let's talk about monetary and fiscal side separately. Let's first of all talk on the monetary side. As you say, the Federal Reserve expanded its balance sheet directly from, I guess, it was about a trillion to maybe two and a half trillion dollars. Bought lots of mortgage-backed securities, lots of treasuries, uh, pumped money into the system. Uh, they've kind of stopped doing that to some extent now. Can you see them actually reversing that and selling those securities back into the market and uh, raising interest rates? Is that the, the right policy for the Fed going forward? Well, I think they're going to have to um, because with with what is typically the case is that with that much monetary activity, um, you tend to get uh, money supply expands, you tend to get it does what it's supposed to do, and that is it stimulates the economy. But at the same time, um, if, you, if you're not prepared to withdraw that stimulus, then what you're going to end up with is, is really a hyperinflationary um, response. Um, so at some point, they will have to begin to take some of these things off the table. And, and probably what will be the first thing is they'll, they'll come off of this near zero um, rate, um, and then what they'll they'll pr- most likely do is then begin to, in a measured way, um, take off some of the uh, the paper that they have on their balance sheet. 
But they've um, said they haven't had a report this week saying that they're not expecting to raise interest rates until sometime in 2012 at the earliest. Right. Because the economy is too fragile to do it. So can we have 0% interest rates for four or five years and, and not cause inflation in the future? Uh, I don't think so. Um, it, it, uh, my feeling is, is that um, we will eventually have inflation. Um, it, it, I was looking at that same report that now all, the, the, all of the forecasts are being pushed out further out, and the actual uh, forecast out of uh, the San Francisco Fed is that it's going to be sometime in 2012. I, whether they're going to be able to do that, um, I would think that we're already hearing noise now. Um, we have the Hawks uh, speaking up on the Fed. Um, I think it'll be... My gut here today would be that it's going to have to happen sooner than that, um, or we will have uh, pretty serious inflation down the road. Uh, right now, it's been re- kept relatively in check. Um, we've had, on the service side, well, on the labor side and so forth, we haven't seen much um, movement from uh, wage inflation and, and that type of thing. But there, are, in some areas, we, we have seen some assets beginning to creep up um, and, and moving forward. And the ar- argument against that on the other side is that the bigger threat is really deflation, not inflation, uh, because we're having huge austerity programs coming in, certainly at the state level around the United States, uh, certainly in uh, the southern part of Europe. Uh, other countries around the world are, are uh, you know, depressing economic activity. And then on top of that, you add the Gulf oil spill, which is going to dramatically sure. reduce economic activity in the whole Gulf region. And so the bigger threat is really deflation, and nobody should be worrying about inflation whatsoever. Would you agree with that? Well, I think in the short term, that, that is a possibility. Um, but when you start to look at uh, the core numbers coming in, even on PPI and, and CPI, that we're actually seeing them creep up to some degree. Um, but I, I also admit that each one of these different areas, you know, Europe is going to have its own situation, and, and that's going to be a deflationary situation, would be my best guess, um, for the next year or two, because I think they're going to basically have each one of these different countries, you know, they call them the pigs, but basically we're starting with Greece, we have Spain as a bit of an issue, you have Ireland, you have Italy, um, they're going to have to work their way through each one of these different countries, and Europe's kind of a different um, um, issue altogether because you have cultural issues. You have a near socialist system in, in most of the countries within Europe. So that's going to be seat, much harder to deal with. If you were in the Fed seat right now, though, are you saying they're making the wrong move by keeping interest rates at zero into 2012, or would you start raising rates now to head off future inflation? Um, I don't think you can. I think that right now they, they have to stay uh, pat with where they are. Um, it's just way too fragile a situation, in my, in my opinion, is that uh, unemployment um, is still very high. We've had you know, discouraging weekly numbers as of late. Um, looking at some of the statistics, I mean, we're looking at all but three countries, I mean, all but three uh, states have over 6% unemployment. Um, you have about five or six that are above 12% unemployment. Um, with the uh, the other piece of news with the uh, oil spill and the moratorium on deep water drilling, that's, that's estimated to add another million people to uh, the unemployment. 
So I think it's just way too early. Um, you also have housing, which is an issue as well. Um, housing, the low rates have, have really kept mortgage rates down. People have been able to refinance. Um, that's been very stimulative. Um, it would be nice if we could open up the lending standards a little bit and, and uh, qualify more people within uh, some of these refis. Um, but so for right now, I think that they do need to stay um, at near zero. And, and stimulating the economy as, as much as possible. But with that said, probably sometime next year, maybe mid-year, um, is a time to really begin looking at that and, and most likely starting to see some movement in that direction. Okay, we're going to go to our break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Peter Gore, who's a certified financial analyst, a certified financial planner. Uh, he is a professor of economics and finance at the Mason School of Business at the College of William and Mary. He's also a uh, money manager. And we're going to get into some of the investment implications of the economic portfolio we've talked about so far. And we'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. 
Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Peter Gore, who is a certified financial analyst, uh, a, a chartered financial analyst, also a certified financial planner, uh, professor of economics and finance at the Mason School of Business at the College of William and Mary, and he also runs a money management firm. Uh, Peter, tell people about your website and what they can find out about uh, at that website. Uh, great. Thanks, Jordan. Um, what you can find is... Uh, are the different services that we provide, and the website is uh, www.gorecap.com. Okay. And uh, just tell us briefly about your money management services. Uh, what kind of clients do you take, and what are your minimums, and maybe a little bit about your returns, just to get some basics on your investment management company. Sure, sure. Uh, basically, uh, high net worth clients. Um, we really don't haven't stated uh, as far as minimums. Um, but basically what we do is uh, um, all aspects of financial advising, retirement planning, estate planning. Um, we uh, do uh, tax planning, um, so, and then investment planning, of course. And what kind of style do you have? Um, basically, we're uh, primarily used, we're fee-based business. We're uh, active managers with, uh, and primarily use uh, mutual funds. Uh, for the investment array, and um, basically, depending on where you are in in your life stage, uh, depends on how we structure the portfolio. But one of the things that we have uh, begun to do, and we've basically previous to 2007, is we had really moved away from the uh, a buy hold or passive philosophy and moved more towards a a active um, uh, philosophy that was really a tilting philosophy of a modern portfolio theory, so looking at uh, efficient frontiers and what asset classes are best served at a given time based on their valuation. And what kind of rates of return have you had against what benchmarks? Um, well, it's hard to say because it's, it's all clients are different. We don't run against a particular benchmark, um, so I, I can't ca- encapsulate that. Okay. I assume there have been good returns, though. Um, they have been good returns. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you can get. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it right now. <laughs> all right. Very good. All right. Well, before we get to the investment implications, I just want to talk a little bit about the fiscal side. We talked about the monetary side. On the fiscal side, uh, the U.S. government's running about a $1.5 uh, trillion deficit, give or take a few hundred billion here or there. Um, and, and basically, this is at least a trillion dollars as far as the eye can see. Um, is this sustainable, or, or, or what should be done about this? No, actually, if, if um, you know, we, we talked about uh, what kind of some of the, the short-term issues are, but really when we start to look at intermediate and long-term, um, that's when we really start to see that the, uh, the deficit is going to be a, a, a continued issue. Um, with the de- deficit becomes uh, a debt issue with the total debt, um, and then uh, we start to roll into, we have some uh, other longer, intermediate to longer-term issues as far as demographics and deleveraging. But, um, no, I don't, I don't believe that, that continuing to run this deficit and pushing it down the road uh, is, is really sustainable. Um, I think that this is going to be uh, one of the issues, the hard issues, that the politicians are going to have to face. And right, so I'll, re- I'll make you king for the moment here. And you're not only president, but you also run Congress, have unassailable uh, majorities in both houses. Uh, how would you cut the deficit uh, or bring it to a surplus? Mm. 
Well, the um, I think that the uh, you're going to have to deal with two things. You're going to have to deal with uh, in, entitlements, um, which are basically uh, unfunded Medicare and Social Security. That's one that's looming out there and, and uh, so, is so an how issue. Would you, how would you deal with that? Everybody knows the problem. What is your solution? Um, my solution would be that uh, I think that we're going to have to push out the uh, – we're going to have to do means testing. Um, I think that there's going to have to be some type of income uh, cutoff. I think at the same time we're probably going to have to uh, push uh, the retirement age a little bit further out. Um, and I think that that will help from that standpoint. And I think ultimately we're going to have to deal with taxes. Um, we need more income coming into uh, um, the government to pay down, pay down the debt. And so you think we should redo the tax system or raise tax rates? We're already, going to, we're already going to be raising tax rates as of January 1st. We are. And, and I think that, that that will be a, I guess we would say, a start. Um, I think that uh, it's, it's going to be a, a difficult process all the way across the board. And how about Medicare? What would you do about that? Um, Medicare, that's uh, right now, you know, I don't have an answer on Medicare. Um, that's one that I haven't really studied uh, all of the intricacies involved in it. What is your impression of what the past health care bill is going to do uh, to the deficit and economic growth? Um, the health care bill, I think that overall economic growth, um, uh, it, it, it should, it, it most actually, it probably will be a benefit to, in some degree, um, but at the same time, it, it's, it's going to, um, I, well, I think it's kind of a, a double-edged sword here. I think that it, it's going to be beneficial on the, the um, uh, consumer side because I think it's going to bring down the, the amount that's, uh, that goes out as far as expenditures and so forth. Um, as far as the the um, average uh, individual, um, at the same time, it's going to increase uh, some of the higher higher income um, um, uh, populace, and I think that that that'll, that's uh, will help out from the overall uh, deficit itself. But I think that overall, um, we have a Medicare system that is in deficit already. Uh, the issue is, is I, I don't think the government has really been able to establish themselves um, to to prudently manage a, pro, a, a, a process of that nature, and I think we're going it, to it, it's going to be more of the same down the road. I think that they, we're probably going to end up with having to deal with um, additional deficits on the government side. So I kind of gave you the best-case scenario, which is you were king and, and could do whatever you wanted with Congress. Now, now let's bring you back to reality, which is the current political situation. Sure. And a Congress and the midterm elections coming up. What is actually going to happen on the deficit? Um, I, unfortunately, I think that it's probably going to, uh, um, it's going to be much of the same, although um, I think the, um, much of the same being that November is going to play a huge part in, in however we move down the road. Uh, if, if we end up with the House uh, 
going to the Republican side will probably have a uh, mostly stalemate um, in most of the policies moving forward, which in essence will uh, assure that the taxes will increase with, along with the, the Bush tax cuts. So I think that the deficit will begin to get a little bit better um, purely by the nature of, of the expiration of those tax cuts. So you think the higher tax rates will bring in a lot more revenue then and make the deficit less? I mean, some people on conservatives would say those higher taxes are going to depress economic activity and not bring in as much revenue as people might think. It's definitely a possibility um, because higher taxes, uh, you know, there is there is the balance that, and there's a multiplier that's used that every percent of tax uh, rate increases you have a 3% decline in the GDP. So it's, very, it's a very tenuous situation right now, is as fragile as we are in the recovery, that it could, in effect, uh, push us back into, and this is an argument that's out there, into a double-dip recession. And you are or not in that camp? Um, I am not in that camp um, today. But uh, it is, without a doubt, it, it's an area that, the way it's keeping me on the cautious side of my investments. So basically you're saying the deficits are going to continue indefinitely because it's just not the political will to do things. Even if you were king and could run everything, it would still be difficult. And with the political polarization, it's going to be hard to do that. So let's assume that's the case. We're going to have deficits of a trillion dollars or more as far as the eye can see. Uh, is there a breaking point? Do we go to... 15 trillion, 20 trillion, 25, 50 trillion. I mean, at one point, you know, it's not possible to keep adding to these deficits. Um, I, th- I think we're uh, actually getting pretty close to to that. As far as the deficits are concerned, um, if if we don't start taking some of the uh, uh, debt off the balance sheet, um, I think what we're going to start to see is we're going to end up rolling into. Uh, uh, the potential of a hyperinflationary period. Um, the, so you're uh, saying the way the government would get out of it is by inflating their way out of it and making exactly. the dollars worthless, you mean, or worthless. Yeah, and, and there's really only there's three ways to, to get out of um, a, a debt situation as an individual as well as a country, and it's really you, know, you repay it, you reflate, or you abrogate. Um, and so I, I think, yes, I think reflation is... Um, probably the most uh, realistic scenario. I think repay is the next, and let's just hope we don't have abrogate. We got pretty close to it with Greece, though, right? Uh, very much so, and, and actually uh, we could still be there. Uh, I think of, uh, that's still a possibility in the next couple of years, because uh, a lot of times when you go back and you look at how these, how these countries went through and then some of them ultimately defaulted, is that it's a it's a process that they 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 get a bit of a bailout, um, they pass some austerity, or they try to, and it doesn't stick. Then they start talking about things like extending the debt, um, restructuring, basically extending the debt, uh, bringing down the interest rates, and and actually that's from what I understand that is actually be has begun to be discussed with the Greece debt. So what would be the impact if they did default to the effect on their debt from Greece? 
Um, the impact if they defaulted, um, that's going to be uh, it's going to be a difficult one because then it, it, it they they may end up being uh, um, uh, encouraged to leave the euro. Um, but overall, what it'll do is it'll put a a, a pall over the entire euro uh, and euro land, if you will, um, and immediately, as we've seen, you'll see interest rates rise. Okay, we're going to take a break. We've had some interesting conversation. We're going to come back and talk about the impact of all this on how people should be investing their money. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. I'm speaking with Peter Gore, who's a certified financial planner and a chartered financial analyst. Uh, He also has his own money management firm, uh, Gore Capital, and he's an economics and finance professor at the Mason School of Business at the College of William & Mary. We'll be back after this. markets up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. And my guest this hour is Peter Gore, uh, who is a chartered financial analyst, certified financial planner. Uh, he teaches economics and finance at the Mason School of Business at the College of William & Mary in uh, Virginia. Uh, he also has his own money management firm, Gore Capital. Welcome back to the show, Peter. 
Thank you very much, Jordan. So just briefly summing up the economy as you see it now, uh, trillion-dollar deficits as far as the eye can see, uh, Medicare, Social Security, you know, running up huge deficits, uh, not much political consensus to do much about it. Uh, the Federal Reserve, having stimulated the economy, is going to keep rates at zero at least into 2012, uh, try to cut back on its balance sheet but not being able to do too much. Uh, Europe kind of getting weaker in various places, Asia getting stronger. Is that a brief summary of where you're at? A brief summary. It's uh, maybe a little dour, but pretty much that sums it up. Okay. So with that summary, uh, how should one invest their money in allocating between stocks, bonds, and cash, and even precious metals? And what sectors would you like and what would, would not would you not like in that kind of environment? Um, the uh, I guess looking over the the that landscape is to uh, be investing uh, very cautiously at this point. Um, I think we had a, a very nice um, uh, rebound off, off of the March low of last year in equities. I think a lot of that was we had an oversold situation. We had um, companies going through that process, becoming more profitable, so their balance sheets and their income statements look, look great. And we have basically had that adjustment and, and that initial uh, recovery. I think now going forward, we're going to start dealing with some, some different headwinds. We're going to start dealing with, um, you know, the reduction of stimulus, and it's going to be a much more volatile period of time within the markets. Uh, and, and so basically the, my process is with how I invest in portfolios is I do use equities, I do use bonds, I use cash, um, and then at the same time I use what's basically becoming known as, as the alternative investment strategies. Um, so so that, we take uh, them one at a time. Let's start with stocks. Sure. In the stock market, first of all, roughly what kind of allocation uh, do you have in stocks and what sectors do you like today? And, or in your case, it may not be sectors, it's mutual funds, right? It is, it is. And, and basically my neutral is about a third in fixed income, a third in equities, and a third in alternative strategies. And I, I tilt those depending on um, what, I, what I believe is the environment for the next basically 12 months or so. Um, and right now, I'm tilted heavier towards the alternative uh, um, strategies. And so, for example, with equities, I'm right at about 25% in equities. And what, what are some of the funds or what are some of the strategies that are taking up that 25%? Um, really looking at, at high quality on the large cap side. Um, fund I use is uh, Fairhome is, is a good example. Um, I do have a small portion, probably about 5% that, I would, that would be in uh, small cap to micro cap. And I'll have about 5% in mid cap. And then I'll have, uh, and, and say, about 10% in the large cap uh, arena, and then a 10% um, in international or in developing markets. Okay. And then in the bond side, uh, the bond your view is that interest rates are going to stay pretty low for a while here. So what, what do you have in the bond side? Corporates or treasuries or junk bond? What kind of things do you have there? Yeah. Well, interest rates, um, I think they're going to stay low for a, a little while. Um, but at the same time, staying pretty defensive. So, 
uh, if, if I have an individual, for example, that needs tax-free income, then I'm going to be in uh, municipal bonds, uh, typically the state that they're in. Um, fortunately, Virginia has done well with their municipal bonds, but at the same time also some uh, national uh, municipal bonds. The other piece would be in, um, right now, um, primarily in short-duration um, uh, bond funds. So those, those have very low yields today. They have low yields. They're about 1.5%, so they're better than uh, being in, just, uh, in treasuries. Um, and at the same time, uh, with a low duration, you're going to have far less volatility um, in uh, when interest rates move around. Um, up to this point, the, the uh, downturn in the economy kind of happened a little bit sooner than, than I had anticipated, so I had already moved out of the longer end of the yield curve. So I pulled a lot of my um, exposure, yield exposure back. And how about higher yielding bonds, riskier junk bonds? I do have uh, some junk bonds, um, but basically uh, international junk bonds. So it's a more of a global um, uh, high yield. And then I also have international bonds as well mixed into that. What are some specific funds that you like in, in, in those areas? Um, let's see. The, the, um, on the, uh, I like Templeton's uh, uh, Global Bond Fund. has been a great fund. On the short duration side, Calvert uh, has an ultra short plus a short duration fund that I use. Um, and how about some of the munis? Um, the munis, uh, that's, it really depends on, on the overall state that, that we're in. Okay. And then how about on the cash side? Uh, cash is roughly how much of the typical portfolio and where do you have it invested there? Um, right now, cash uh, is anywhere between 5 and 10%. Um, within the uh, the accounts, and that's basically just money market and, and uh, holding it for uh, to be redeployed when uh, it, it seems opportune. So, to, to, did you go into like a year ago last March with lots of cash, and then you jumped in aggressively at the low in, in March? I did, um, it, it, but not so much in March, kind of picked it up more in the middle of, uh, uh, towards the end of April, early May. Um, so you're looking for a similar kind of opportunity in the future then? W yes, yes. Okay, and then in the alternative investments, what are some of your choices in alternative investments? Uh, alternative investments, um, uh, there's a great uh, permanent portfolio is a good one, um, and uh, PIMCO All Asset All Authority run by Rob Barnott. Is one that uh, I've really liked. Um, there's the arbitrage fund. Um, really looking there, uh, when I do my portfolio uh, construction, I look at, um, and also my mutual fund selection is running correlations against equities and running correlations against bonds, and trying to find those funds that are, are, have low correlation to either one of those asset classes. One area you have not mentioned is precious metals, which has been the big winner lately. What is your view on gold and stock and, and silver and funds in that area? Um, basically, uh, a number of the funds that I do use um, actually buy gold or they have uh, metals as part of them, like the permanent portfolio. Um, One-third of that portfolio is gold and, uh, and silver. 
So you, they you are. You don't believe in it enough as a, as a separate asset class in itself. Yes, I, no, I don't. I don't pick up gold um, as a, unless a client particularly says, "I really want gold." Um, I let the uh, fund managers. I use also use First Eagle Global Fund. They have also a pretty good uh, holding of uh, gold as well. And, and how about real estate, which is another big asset that people take a look at? Um, real estate, it, looking at it opportunistically, um, I've begun to buy um, uh, uh, particular uh, real estate fund. And um, it's an international fund, um, but real estate has been one that has been really uh, um, cyclical in nature. And so I've uh, been out of it for probably about two years now and have just started to buy, to, I guess, uh, you know, basically edge my way back in. So you're basically saying by having an average portfolio allocated in all these different areas, you'll benefit no matter what happens. Is that basically the idea? That's the general idea, and, and you know, it, when when things become a little bit clearer um, as we move down the road, um, I, I could see easily upping the uh, the equity piece um, if if uh, interest rates really start to climb. Although I'm pretty defensively positioned at this point, um, I could see shifting that around a little bit as well. Uh, maybe moving into floating rate um, as opposed to short duration. Uh, some things of that nature, but I, I really think that uh, right now that a defending yourself against drawdown um, is is absolutely critical, uh, especially when I'm dealing with you know re- retirement assets uh, for clients, um, and I just think that the uh, with the the trading environment that we currently have in markets that buy and hold just isn't the way to go anymore, that you really do need to be uh, active in your, in your approach. So if uh, things could go two directions, if we had more deflation and what's going on in Europe spreads, how would that affect your portfolio mix? And then the other side would be if, we, if the inflation you're looking for start happening, how would that affect your portfolio mix? Um, right now, actually, I'm... I'm I would say pretty much uh, positioned for either or. Um, if... Deflation came on uh, much heavier and pushed us uh, into a double dip scenario. I could see maybe uh, de-risking a little bit further on the equity side, um, but right now uh, the portfolio, as it stands today, uh, is pretty defensively positioned, and we've, you know, have weathered this last bout um, pretty well. Um, basically, if I looked at my portfolio. Um, my bait is running at about 0.3 to the equity markets. So where we had a 12% decline in the S&P, portfolio was down about 4. So I can live with that. And then on the other side, if you had an inflationary surge, how would that affect things? Um, inflationary surge, uh, the initially, it's, it's bad for bonds and it's bad for stocks. But ultimately, stocks usually fare better. Um, again, I'm looking at that alternative strategy piece. I'm keeping the duration short on the fixed income side, holding international bonds with the idea that it's going to be pretty isolated uh, where, when, it, when and where it happens. So I think I'm pretty uh, uh, well positioned right now on that. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Peter Gore, uh, who is a certified financial planner. Also a chartered financial analyst. His uh, 
money management firm is at is Gore Capital at gorecap.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about the rising amount of financial illiteracy in this country and what can be done about it. We'll be back after this. the markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. When you were young, did you feel free to daydream? Were you full of questions such as why, how, and what if? Did you allow yourself to be carefree, to dance and sing? Did you create just for fun? Want to feel that way again? Reclaim your natural curiosity and creativity with Dr. Carol Stalka on Stargazing Stories, sparking your creativity. Revitalize your life, work, and relationships. Be more playful, be bold, imagine, explore, and live more creatively every day. Tune in Wednesdays at 11 a.m. in the East, 8 a.m. in the West on 7th Wave Network. Are you ready to talk football with the greatest wide receiver player and coach in NFL history? Tune in to Wide Open with Andre Rison. Andre is ready to talk to you and give his thoughts on the sport. There'll be celebrity guests, coaches, players, artists, and more. He'll go beyond the game with a look from the coach's point of view and feature a high school player each week. Tune in to Wide Open with host Andre Rison. Featured Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Peter Gore, uh, who is a certified financial planner, also a chartered financial analyst. Uh, his investment uh, management firm is gorecapital.com at gorecap.com. Welcome back to the show, Peter. Great. Great to we, be back. We want to go to another topic, which is uh, the whole rise of financial illiteracy uh, in this country. Sure. And you're a teacher of undergraduates at William & Mary. What is the state of financial illiteracy in this country, and, and what is and should be done about it? Well, it, it, that's uh, of course something I'm involved with with the uh, uh, William and Mary, but you know, I, it's um, I'm dealing with college students, and 
But when you really look at the research, it, it's an it's a, uh, ever-evolving problem, and it's growing um, every year. And um, there's been uh, some surveys done. Uh, there's a group uh, that Jumpstart Coalition is a, is a big group in that, and I think you had said that you, you were involved in that. Yeah. Um, and they go out and they do a survey every year, and it's, they have found this last go-round in 08 um, that actually the, the, the uh, scores are the lowest they've ever been. Um, which is really uh, troubling. But haven't there been many more educational efforts out there in elementary school and high schools and so on? What is going on here? There, there has been, but um, basically there's, uh, there, but there are only eight states that really require any type of financial um, education or courses before uh, graduation from high school. And what they're finding is, is you know, we know that uh, only probably about 25% of uh, high school class, senior class moves on to college. And, of course, the scores in co- for college students are higher. But what's happening is 75% of the populace every year that's graduating from high school um, doesn't have the, uh, the uh, background or the uh, um, education in what's becoming a, a more and more critical area when we look to um, those things that the individual is is supposed to understand in order to take care of themselves, both from a medical standpoint, from a retirement standpoint, and so forth. What are the results of financial literacy in the economy? Um, what are the results? I mean, how are we seeing the impact oh. of people's financial illiteracy? Well, we, we, we see it in a lot of different areas, but one of the, the most critical areas and um, uh, coincidental areas is that uh, a research paper came out from Columbia just uh, last, in the last few months that actually pointed to that uh, uh, um, deficient math skills were actually part of the contributing factor to um, the uh, credit crisis. With uh, uh, on the sub subprime loans, and what they did is they found out that they went back and they uh, administered a test. They took a sample out of the uh, individuals who took mortgages, subprime mortgages between two, 2006 2007, and they gave them uh, a test. And it's a relatively simple test as far as the questions were: What do you get when you divide 300 by two? Um, what is 10 percent of a thousand? So you know, we see that this isn't even close to when we start to discuss amortization of, of a mortgage, um, compound interest, and those type of things. And what we found was that the bottom quartile is three times more likely to foreclose than the top quartile because they took the, the, the data and they correlated it with actual foreclosures. So they, did, they were able to point specifically to math skills being part of a problem. And, and what is and should be done about it? Um, there's been some move. I mean, even Congress has, has passed uh, April as the, the uh, um, financial literacy month. But there hasn't been, in my opinion, enough of a push. I mean, to only have eight states require it in high school, um, it, it, it should be a core learning, um, a standard of learning with any of the different um, uh, school programs um, especially high school, because at least at that point you have a, a relevancy factor where it, it, they can they can uh, at least feel as though um, they're about to need or be required to have some of these skills when they do graduate. 
what are you finding on the undergraduates you are teaching at William and Mary? Uh, their level of financial uh, sophistication. Well, the, the the fortunate part is 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 um, that the study shows that you know once it, once somebody moves on to college, and I think that it is that what they're forced to deal with as far as checking accounts and then ATMs and credit cards and things of that nature. Um, so there there is more of awareness for financial matters. What we're focusing on is really taking it to the next level and saying, okay, if you have investment dollars, um, what is a good investment, what is a bad investment? And we, we teach them the discipline of a fundamental of analysis, looking at companies, looking at balance sheets, and looking at income statements. And I would imagine one of the, the uh, side effects of that is that they are also picking up some of these skills for themselves on a personal basis as well. Now, you're seeing people in the economics and finance department, but what's your impression of the overall student body, say, William and Mary, and their knowledge of financial affairs? Um, I, I think it's good. I, I think at, at most universities it is, it is um, uh, probably very good, uh, or good, and, and, but uh, there's always room, I think, for practical, day-to-day -day understanding of really key concepts. Um, and when I say key concepts, things like simple interest, compound interest. Um, what is a mortgage? What is amortization? I mean, most people don't know that, you know, if, uh, in a 30-year mortgage that literally the first five years of, of your uh, mortgage payment is interest for all practical matters. Um, and that, you know, even on uh, credit cards, it's, it's amazing that people don't understand that a minimum payment means that you're going to be paying interest on the rest of the balance. And so there's some, some things that I really think that, that should be offered, um, not only in high school, but it, you could also offer it uh, at the college level as well. Another area you, you want to talk about was retirement income. This is kind of another area of financial literacy. Do, do people have, have people put aside enough money to be able to live comfortably in retirement and not have to depend on Social Security? Um, to no, uh, I guess, my my uh, quick answer would be no. That I, I really think that as we look at retirement income, and it's another area that we'll probably do a whole show on, but it's it's an area that um, you know uh, historically it was the defined benefit uh, retirement plan, and and the risk of the asset return or being able to provide that benefit was borne by the company itself. Well, those plans, basically, there's maybe, um, there's, there's only about, I think, 50,000 of those plans left from, down from 200,000. Um, and what's happened is, is what's, what's um, come in in its place is, is what's called the defined contribution plan. And the uh, risk is now borne by the investor. And that is what is, is going to be the primary retirement vehicle when somebody retires in, in the future. And so there's so much um, uh, importance on how those funds are managed, how much is in, in those accounts, um, to ensure that they have uh, set aside enough to have a, a, uh, uh, a reasonable uh, retirement expectation. Um, with that, there's an awful lot of challenge on the other end in that individuals are living longer, so we have what's called longevity risk. And so 
the amount of money that's required upon retirement is much higher than it, it has been in the past um, as medical advances uh, continue. Terrific. Well, we've had a very interesting conversation. My guest this hour has been Peter Gore. He's a certified financial planner, chartered financial analyst. He, he has a, a money management firm called Gore Capital, and the website for it is gorecap.com. We've covered a lot of ground in the last hour. And thanks very much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Peter. This has been great. Thank you, Jordan. And we'll be back again with you another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.